the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, it is a delight to bring back George Kaloff. He uh, does our Friday political roundup with us. We had a little bit of a break over the holidays. He is the um, managing partner at the Resolute Group. He is also the president of Data Orbital, one of the uh, finest political strategists and thinkers uh, I know, and uh, we are delighted that he joins us and uh, resides here. George, Happy New Year, and thanks for being with us. Happy New Year. Good to be back with you, Seth, after, uh, what, a two- to three-week break? Yeah, I think we had a two- or three-week hiatus, and it's not like anything interesting happened in those last three weeks. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Where have you been? Man, we need you. We need you. We need you. Arizona. Let's start there and then work nationally. We inaugurated a new governor this week. Um, she took a few. Uh, she took a few hits from uh, the media for not exactly being as transparent as uh, she promised to be, uh, and uh, that includes everything from her original swearing in to uh, the um, the gobs of money she is two hundred and fifty thousand a pop taken in from uh, resources, institutions, and individuals she will not disclose to us after having campaigned for the Terry Goddard Full Disclosure Ballot Initiative. So we start off on that foot. I happen to think it's going to be probably the most left-wing administration uh, the governor's the ninth floor, as they say, has ever had here in Arizona. Uh, but what's your take and what happens at that office and below it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually been very interesting to watch. Uh, I think it's the first time since I heard either 74 or 1976 where the governor the Attorney General, and the Secretary of State. There have been times before uh, in the 90s where we had the Governor and Attorney General, but not also with the Secretary of State. Yeah. All three are Democrats, but on the same hand, we have Republicans that lead the House and the Senate and arguably the most conservative, even though it's still one seat majority, the most conservative caucus in the Republican side that we have had probably ever, if not definitely in the last couple of uh, decades. It's been interesting to see, though, what the Governor has done. Hobbs has kept over a number of Ducey uh, agency directors, uh, not least of which is, is one of uh, the Governor Ducey's crowning achievements, which was the Arizona Commerce Authority and Sandra Watson and what she does. It was just announced today that she's staying on. So there's definitely been overtures by the governor to signal that, um, you know, she's, she's not just going to slash and burn everyone who did anything the last eight years. But on the other hand, for example, the Department of Health and Human Services, the the individual she appointed from Pima County is a is a is a very much so an activist and children's uh, services too, as I saw. You exactly, know. exactly. Yeah. So there's definitely. I mean, like, look, it's very clear. There's a changing of the guards. It's mm -hmm. just it's you know uh, you know even the events that I've gone to legislative luncheons in the lead up to a session this coming Monday, things do feel different <laughs> right now. The Democrats are they are they are they are you know in a, they're in charge of a third of of the, you know, one-third of the stool, and now with the Attorney General and Secretary of State, there's a lot of impacts there, and so, yeah, they're, they're more powerful than they've been in, in quite a while in the state. Yeah, and the other, and the concern I have, I mean, you know, we think about Democrats of yore that have held some of these offices, uh, 
Wesley Bolin, Bruce Babbitt. What I wouldn't do for Democrats like that, to be honest with you. It's a different Democratic Party than when the Democrats held these seats before, isn't it? It is. It is. And 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 the, and the individuals, I would say even more importantly than those who hold elective office, you and I talk a lot about this, the individuals, the activists, the, the, the party faithful, those people behind the scenes of Republicans and Democrats are farther apart than we've ever been. I think yeah. that's also something that kind of goes unnoticed or at least something that I have not thought as much about, except for in the last you know, handful of months, that it, a lot of this is the, the staff and the campaign staff and the and the the rank and file members of the parties. I mean, the Democratic Party is having a fight for chair um, for the first time in a while for the state chair for the Democratic Party. The Republicans, we always have fights for state chair. This this year is no different. Eight or nine candidates. Uh, is that right? Count, are there eight or nine candidates? The, yeah. yeah, are running for the state chair. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's it's definitely not the 90s. It's definitely not the, like the last time when Napolitano and Goddard, uh, Napolitano was governor and Goddard was attorney general. Um, you know, I think that the Democrats so far have been very careful. I mean, there's definitely been talk of, let's say, reproductive rights. But, for example, a promise that, that uh, Hobbs had made about having a special session to roll back. Yeah. You know, Education choice, that. too. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So she's walked back some of those because she realizes that she needs the Republicans and the, the legislature to, to help her do anything. Uh, something about the Republican majorities on our at our at our state house. Uh, something about them. Uh, they are a little more conservative than uh, in in years past. Yes, our, our leadership at the Republican Party at the state house and Senate looks to be a little bit more conservative yes. as far as yes. Republican conservatism leadership. goes. Yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Not just leadership, but it's the rank and file right. members. You see the individuals who have chairman, you know, chairs of committees. Um, there's not really a lot of room and give on the critical issues, cultural issues, school choice. I mean, I couldn't name, you know, sure, there's members that are going to be, you know, there's members that are going to vote probably from both parties for certain stuff that always happens. But the the typical people the last session or two that have consistently voted against, for example, school choice, yeah, or consistently yeah, voted against, yeah. you know, extra life protections or protections on religious freedom, none of those people are returning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, and, and there's a reason for it. Um, you know, I think the biggest area, if I'm going to forecast anything where there's going to be compromise, frankly, is going to be spending and taxes. That's, yeah, that's an area that's where I can guarantee right. you there's going to be Republicans that will go over to Democrats and maybe some Democrats that go over to Republicans, depending on the, the issue. So more on the fiscal issues than on the social exactly. issues. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the place where there's, you know, that we're going to see compromise. Um, you know, there's a lot of money that the state has in its coffers, not to get too wonkish, but then there's also a fear of a recession potentially. Yeah. And so yeah. we need to be very wise in not putting ourselves in a similar position as we did in 08 going into the 09 recession where we we really were in dire straits and we've worked very hard the last eight years under the, the leadership of Governor Ducey to get out of that and we don't want to go right back in. One of the most important things from my perspective anyway, George, is when we are not in control of the levers, uh, as we are not in Washington, as we are not in Arizona now, is that we do have a serious and strong opposition party with serious and strong leadership. Um, and it seems to me right now, and feel free to take, a, take it to the national level if you'd like, because that's, that's where most of the headlines are these days. It seems we have that problem at the state, though, too. It, it just seems like the Republican Party is a little bit lost at sea generally. And maybe maybe I'm half empty on this, especially given what you said about the leadership at the state level in the legislature. But, you know, I would I would <laughs> I did not see this fight coming in Washington. I saw I was I was looking um, to the fight that was going to be over at the RNC 
between Ronna McDaniel and Harmy Dillon for what it's worth and what I've said. I support Harmy Dillon at this and have. But, you know, I thought that's where the fight was going to be. And maybe the lack of good leadership helps explain some of the problems we've seen over the last week in um, in Washington as well. But I just think it is so important that we have a strong party and a strong party apparatus with strong party leadership, especially when we're not in power. Yes. Yeah. Now, let me start with something at least somewhat um, uh, positive, because I know that, that folks, you know. Yeah, no, fill me up, buddy. I, I'm, I'm too half empty um, this week. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. So if, if you remember, and I know you especially, but if listeners remember in 2012, when uh, Obama had gotten reelected after the debacle that was 2010 for them, he got reelected by wider margins than he'd originally gotten elected in 08. We lost a significant amount of seats in 2012. Everyone, you know, the front page, I think it was the front page of the Times magazine and others were like, oh, my God, Republicans are in Siberia. Yeah. We're going to be in charge yeah. of anything ever again. Well, right. Remember that? Yeah. So on and so forth. And then subsequent years afterwards. So I will say there's definitely a cyclicalness. Um, it does feel and I and I will affirm, unfortunately, that, that we are a little bit rudderless right now. I can guarantee if you ask, you know, rank and file Republican voters and even uh, Republican leaders, and I'm talking people that are involved in the party and different uh, sort of different interest groups, yeah. corporations and nonprofits. I don't know that we'd get 10 percent of people who would name the same person as right. the leader of the party. Right. Um, that is a problem. Yeah. And I think it's because of what's happening nationally. Look, it's one thing to have people that are strong. I have a lot of faith that we're going to get good stuff done from a legislative perspective um, because I, I, I can't rely on anything but faith at this point. Right. We need to have faith that our, our Republicans will stand together and pass good things. But a lot of this is because who's our leader at the national level? Yeah. We don't have a leader. Right? Yeah. That's why the fight for the RNC is so important. Yeah. That's why the fight for speakers has panned out the way that it is in Arizona. It's, you know, apparently an outsized role in it. You know, it's, it's been consistently, you know, still two out of the six individual. Um, individual now now I think we're down to one, actually. I, okay. th- I think we're okay. down. I think Paul Gosar uh, moved over to the McCarthy column earlier today. Yes, yes. But Eli Crane. Is oh, yes, yes. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So, you're right. Sorry. Just as an example. We're, so we were three. We were three of them. Yeah. Yeah. We were three. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We were three okay. out of the 20. Now we're two out of the six that, yeah. are, that are left. But I mean, that's why those that battle is as, as big as it is, because. People are seeing and asking who is leading the party. And Let me pause you there as I go to break, plan. George. Let me I can keep you another segment, right? Let's do it. Okay, good. Thank you. George Kaloff is our guest. I just got to take the commercial break here. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital. Uh, he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are worried about economic instability, recession, inflation, you can start the year by securing the value of your cash reserves and investment, guarding them against what many are predicting will be a brutal year for the value of the dollar and the stock market by calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your money with the stability of gold. Gold holds its value when economies fail. And with stocks and bonds having crashed over 20% in this past year, gold held its value. Trust the company, Seb Gorka, I, and thousands of you already trust. That's the Midas Gold Group. Create a hedge against the ravages of inflation. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or give them a call at 480-360-3000. 480-360-3000. Really great guys. Veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. George Kaloff, another great guy. He is the managing partner of the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital. And uh, we're talking about uh, the Republican Party statewide and nationally as we head into 2020. 
23. George, if I interrupted a thought on the way to break, I apologize for that. Um, but uh, but let, let me let me let me resume here and you, you feel free to weave it back in however you may like. One thing that's also worth keeping in mind is, you know, once we do get a speaker uh, nominated or a speaker of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., uh, it's going to be agenda setting time for what the Republican majority in the House takes up. And I would love to plumb your thoughts as to issues you think the House of Representatives should take up to help build on our thin majority there, but also uh, going into, uh, you know, what we're going to need is a lot of troops into the 2024 election. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, look, we we all know there's a lot of ways that the federal government uh, in D.C. overreaches and gets out of its boundaries, but there's a lot of things that are well within its boundaries. What? not least of which is the way that we spend money. We Mm -hmm. just passed a very large uh, spending bill that saw, uh, which is fairly unique, a big fight between the House and the Senate Republicans in terms of the speed in which and the amount in which we spent money. And there's different people that have disagreements and and like and don't like various components of it. But we have kind of given up on our fascination on opposing earmarks and a lot of this pork barrel spending. And essentially what, what that means is like, spending that is specific to districts or our pet projects of members, that was a big thing to oppose 10, 12 years ago, and we've kind of given up on it. And I will say, you know, the way that we better allocate resources and the way that the House can work with the Senate and the White House in terms of spending wisely is going to be a big deal. I mean, we very clearly are seeing the ravages from an inflation perspective in the way that we spend money. And so spending money wiser is going to be important. And frankly, tackling and having relief on uh, or, or for inflation, I should say, I mean, look, Phoenix is the area that hits the hardest. And yes, we are seeing inflation rates grow less, but we're still in the throes of it. Maybe gas is down, which is good. But I went to the grocery store the other day, which is something I don't do often. And I couldn't find two thirds of the things that I needed. Oh, I uh, know. You know, that fell out of the headlines. And I'm telling you, that's true, too. I mean, we've read here and there shortages of baby formula, uh, shortages of other things. I was in the store the other day as well, and um, I guess maybe you have to pick your stores again, but you're right. It feels almost like it did two winters ago. Yeah, yeah, you can't find, I mean, there's no children's medicine. I mean, all kinds of things, so eggs, milk, children's medicine, you name it, formula. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the federal government has a serious role to play because, frankly, I, I do believe that a lot of the reason why we're in this mess is because we were, you know, handing out money like hotcakes mm-hmm. uh, two, three years ago, and and we need a we need to be wiser stewards of our tax dollars to set us on on the right path. And I do think that there's a lot there that could, um, you know, that could unify. And and frankly, and again, I don't want to be, you know, the the one of the million voices who are saying we got to do something about the border, but it is important. But we have to actually do something. I mean, we keep coming up with these talking points and the left wants a solution, the right wants a solution, but we have to find a way to solve this issue. I think everyone agrees what's happening is unconscionable, whether you're, you know, a refugee rights activist or you're someone who just wants to secure the border. I mean, it's horrific what's happening and it's horrific how we're incentivizing cartels and human traffickers to do what they're doing. And so we actually have to do, and this is one of the prime functions of the federal government. I just don't know, unfortunately, Seth, if that's something that's going to bring us together. It's a super complicated topic. But we have to do something about it. Otherwise, we're still going to, you know, we have this random hodgepodge and patchwork of executive orders that have addressed various components of the border issue. But it's it's us in the states who are feeling it. And D.C. keeps punting, punting it down, kicking the can down the road. And we actually have to 
you know, put our big boy and girl pants on and, and, and make some tough decisions. I think that's the biggest thing that I would look to D.C. and, frankly, even in Arizona. We have to make some tough decisions to solve some really complex and tough problems for the sake of Americans who are just at this point fed up with all about almost everything and everyone that's happening. Yeah, I, I echo that. You know, one of the problems of being in the minority in the House, as distinct from in the Senate, is is you really have very little power in the House. And so it's it's to be forgiven that, you know, you haven't heard a lot on the national yeah. stage from a lot of our conservative heroes in the House, except occasionally when they get a little bit of the limelight on social media for holding a hearing here and there, or at least, you know, not holding a hearing, but representing showing up at a hearing and, and being tough on the witness. Now we can dominate that. And one of the things I'm hoping we can dominate on the very issue you just uh, were talking about, the spending and the priorities is another Arizona congressman uh, who has not gotten uh, got you know not 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 been in the majority and will be now David Schweikert he has a lot of proposals on these things for example and others like him that will now get the uh, bully pulpit and get uh, you know get to be the head of subcommittees and committees that can that can make this issue uh, these issues these economic issues and choices front and center in a way that they haven't for a very long time now it seems like so. I mean, it's going to be it's more than anything. I think what the Republican majority can help do is give us a teachable moment or at least help start to bring the American people along to the notion that we just can't keep doing what we're doing anymore. One hundred percent. And I will say one thing that, you know, we already saw the first announcement of a, of a non reelect from an incumbent Democrat senator in Michigan, a oh, state that good. we should pick up. We good. know in the Senate uh, that Debbie Stabenow is not running again. Yep. We know the Senate. The Democrats are protecting two-thirds of their seats. That doesn't even include the drama that uh, that we talked about with cinema. Oh, yeah. Cinema becoming yeah. independent, what that looks like. Yeah. If we don't, though, get things done. And again, I understand that we're gridlocked. I totally get it. So I, I understand there's limitations. But if we don't get substantial things done, if we don't have a unified message and vision going into 24, we're we barely have the House majority now. There's, a, there's just yeah. a DC of a chance with redistricting and the way that it went, but we lose it. And we will not pick up the Senate. We cannot keep putting I'm ourselves sorry. in I'm sorry to laugh. A unified message and vision. This was not a good week for a good start on that, I have to I know. Yeah. I, exa- yeah. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, like, look, in politics and in life, perception is reality. Yeah. And right now, yeah. the perception is we're at each other's throats, even though I always say, and I believe this, Democrats are almost as divided, if not more, than we are. They just they just do it differently. Yeah. This is the first time. <laughs> they don't hang it in the front window. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to get something done. That's the big thing. We have to get things done good. to be able to run on a unified message into 24. We good. Have good, good, good. Good message for us, George, kicking off the new year right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you so much. Always good to be on with you, Seth. Talk you betcha. Soon. Absolutely. George Kaloff, managing partner at the Resolute Group, president at Data Orbital. Open lines, folks, 602-5080-960. Anything on your mind you want to talk about? That's why we're here. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. The great uh, Larry Elder coming on uh, in our third hour at 5 o'clock. Uh, gosh, he's uh, he's just such a great guy. Such a great guy. Um, Victor Davis Hansen uh, writes a column, and um, the underlying message of which is why I want us to get to work. 
get to serious work, get serious and get to work. Did someone or something seize control of the United States, he asks. What happened to the U.S. border? Where'd it go? Who erased it? Why and how did 5 million people enter our country illegally? Did Did Congress secretly repeal our immigration laws? Did Joe Biden issue an executive order allowing foreign nationals to walk across the border and reside in the United States as they pleased? Since when did money not have to be paid back? Who insisted that the more dollars the federal government printed, the more prosperity would follow? When did America embrace zero interest? Why do we believe $30 trillion in debt is no big deal? When did clean, burning, cheap, and abundant natural gas become the equivalent to dirty coal? How did prized natural gas that had granted America's wishes of energy self-sufficiency, reduced pollution, and inexpensive electricity become almost overnight a pariah fuel whose extraction was a war against nature? Which lawmakers, which laws, which votes of the people declared natural gas development and pipelines near criminal? Was it not against federal law to swarm the homes of Supreme Court justices, to picket and to intimidate their households in efforts to affect their rulings? How then, with impunity, did bullies surround the homes of Justices Brett Kavanaugh, Samuel Alito, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, John Roberts, and Clarence Thomas Furious over a court decision on abortion? How could these mobs so easily throng our justices' homes with placards declaring off with their you know what? It wasn't heads. Since when did Americans create a government ministry of truth? And on whose orders did the FBI contract private news organizations to censor stories it did not like and writers whom it feared? feared? How did we wake up one morning to new customs of impeaching a president over a phone call? Of the Speaker of the House tearing up the State of the Union address on national television, of barring congressional members from serving on their assigned congressional committees? When did we assume the FBI had the right to subvert the campaign of a candidate it disliked? Was it legal suddenly for one presidential candidate to hire a foreign ex-spy to subvert the campaign of her rival? Was some state or federal law passed that allowed biological males to compete in female sports? Did Congress enact such a law? Did the Supreme Court guarantee that biological male students could shower in gym locker rooms with biological women? Were women ever asked to redefine the very sports they had championed? When did the government pass a law depriving Americans of their freedom during a pandemic? In America, can health officials simply conceal rental contracts or declare loan payments in suspension? How could it become illegal for mom-and-pop stores to sell flowers or shoes during a quarantine, but not so for Walmart or Target? Since when did the people decide that 70% of voters would not cast their ballots on Election Day? Was this revolutionary change the subject of a national debate, a heated congressional session, or the votes of dozens of state legislatures? What happened to election night returns? Do the fact that Americans created more electronic ballots and computerized tallies make it take so much longer to tabulate the votes? When did the nation abruptly decide that theft is not a crime, an assault, not a felony? How can thieves walk out with bags of stolen goods without the wrath of angry shoppers, much less fear of the law? Was there ever a national debate about the terrified flight from Afghanistan? Who planned it and why? 
What happened to the once-trusted FBI? Why almost overnight did its directors decide to mislead Congress to deceive judges with concocted tales from fake dossiers and with doctored writs? Did Congress pass a law that our federal leaders in the FBI or CIA could lie with impunity under oath? Who redefined our military and with whose consent? Who proclaimed that our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff could call his Chinese communist counterpart to warn him that America's president was supposedly unstable? Was it always true that retired generals routinely libeled their commander-in-chief as a near-Nazi, a Mussolini, and adherent of the tools of Auschwitz? Were Americans ever asked whether their universities could discriminate against their sons and daughters based on their race? How did it become physically dangerous to speak the truth on a campus? Whose idea was it to reboot racial segregation and biases, theme houses, safe spaces, and diversity? How did that happen in America? How did a virus cancel the Constitution? Yeah, questions all requiring an answer. Judgments all requiring a verdict. If you are worried about the volatility of the stock market, you can join a lot of your Phoenicians who already have invested with Y-Refi. Y-Refi, sponsors of this show, offer a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off with Y-Refi. You can compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you do need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a fixed rate of return up to 10.25%. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out and invest yrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Really good folks. Saw some of them... uh, Hey, I got to see Lane, one of the uh, partners there, earlier today. Cheryl Atkinson is uh, another former MSM reporter who couldn't take it anymore. I believe she was with CBS, and she has her own website, too. And echoing some of what Victor Davis Hansen's list was, she uh, outlined several priorities we need to roll up our sleeves for. I, I, I mention these because the business of, the business of governing um, is not just... A theoretical. It requires. Um, it, it's not a theoretical. It's important, and 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 the importance it seems to me has been forgotten a little bit. We have some hard work to do. Illegal immigration. She writes. Each day that passes is another day that makes it impossible to go back, even if the border were be to, were to be secured immediately. We will be dealing forever with the fallout of the unrestricted illegal border crossings in terms of expense, crime, impact on our schools and an already stressed health care system. COVID. There is ongoing fallout from controversial vaccine mandates. Congress has rescinded the military mandates, but not before tens of thousands or more received the vaccine under duress, and many thousands were forced out. We already had a recruiting crisis, and it's only grown worse. A judge has ordered New York City to hire back more than 1,700 workers fired for refusing the vaccine. What's the state's response? To appeal. It's appealing. We are also dealing with the costs and health impact of those who got it and are suffering from certain illnesses, some of them disabled. 
There's an ongoing cost to our youth who do not tend to get sick with COVID or very sick with COVID, but who are at risk of serious illness, not to mention mental. College costs with discussion and debates focused on loan forgiveness or more accurately transferring the costs of outstanding loans to taxpayers does nothing to cure the overinflated and unjustifiable costs of college education. Same syndrome is in play with health care costs. The fact that the government ensures these bills will get paid using taxpayer money and loans and grants and scholarships and Medicare, etc., only ensures corporations can charge outrageous amounts for the services. If it weren't for government and private medical insurance and loans and grants, few could afford the overinflated medical and education costs, and the prices would, by necessity, have to come down. The government is the cause of these problems and could solve them, but will not because too many elected officials are part of the system that benefits. They get donations from the industries, the institutions, the insurance industries, the hospital industries, the pharmaceutical companies, and others to help them stay in office and positions of power. Thus, the solutions by necessity will continue to feather their nests always at our expense. Transgenderism in medicine, media, politics, education, advertising, you name it, Virtually unheard of just a few years back, except as part of a mental health discussion largely limited to a psychiatric diagnosis, suddenly it's everywhere. Like other narratives, they are organized, well-funded efforts behind the transgender lobby, and these powerful forces have been able to co-opt nearly every form of information in order to make fringe beliefs appear to be the norm shared by nearly everyone. Health crises, from rampant chronic health issues to autism, autoimmune disorders, new diseases. The government is typically only funding research on issues that the industries want funded and is only finding answers that the industries and special interests want to be found. Since it's not in any big industry's interest to identify the multi-exposure causes likely behind many health issues, including mental, these studies won't be funded. Government control. The government is so tied into funding everyone and everything today, including private companies throughout contracts and incentives, it can control policies and actions far outside what was supposed to be in the government's reach. COVID vaccines were one example. By refusing to reimburse for certain medical treatments, the government can make sure certain treatments, even if important and effective, aren't used. This government power is especially dangerous when the government takes part in corrupt or politically motivated agendas. There's scientific fraud. There's the FBI and intel agency corruption. One of the biggest scandals of our time that is underreported drastically is widespread corruption at high levels in our intel agencies as exposed in their schemes to frame Republicans. Even when agent agent and officials commit lapses and crimes, they are rarely held to account in any meaningful way. Recall former FBI director James Comey was referred by the inspector general for criminal charges in his efforts to damage Donald Trump at the Department of Justice took a pass on prosecuting him. Only one FBI lawyer was lightly prosecuted in one of the most outrageous crimes of his kind, doctoring a document to obtain a wiretap on a Trump campaign associate who never got so much as an apology. And that FBI attorney didn't even get jail time. And there seemed to be no effort to identify and prosecute the others that were in the chain, signing off on false information or staying silent about it. FISA court scandals, one of the most powerful and secret courts, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, has confirmed rampant FBI lapses or misconduct when it comes to applications for secret wiretaps. Nobody's held to account. Elon Musk's Twitter takeover is a big story here that hasn't been in the news much this week. It should have been. It should have been um, because Taibbi unloaded a new tranche of 
information about pre-Elon Musk Twitter. And uh, as I said earlier in the week, I, I wish Taibi would have just read the room a little bit and held off for about a week because I think it got lost in the miasma of what's taking place in Washington, D.C. Not that I'm for usually withholding news, but I think it could have waited a week and might have gotten a little bit more exposure, at least in conservative outlets that were dominated by the discussion of Washington, D.C. goings on. Okay, we will be right back. Welcome back. I uh, was mentioning the uh, latest tranche that took place this week from Matt Taibbi on the Twitter files, and I said, you know, that I wished he would have uh, maybe waited a week just just to, uh, to to give it a little bit more of a fairer hearing in the circles that would cover it, naturally conservative uh, probably talk radio and other conservative blog sites and websites, but, you know, dominated by the by the D.C. Uh, shenanigans, uh, they, they didn't get the attention they deserved. I'll, I'll give you just a sketch. Uh, Scott Johnson wrote it up. His old Twitter made itself an adjunct to federal government's law enforcement intelligence agencies to suppress stories that conflicted with their line. Twitter's suppression of the New York Post reporting laptop, the laptop Hunter Biden laptop story presents as the leading case, but it's only in, illustrative of old Twitter's modus operandi. The latest tranche, part 12 of the Twitter files, takes up Representative Adam Schiff's efforts to suppress the work of Real Clear Politics reporter Paul Sperry. Did we know about this? Probably not. Probably not enough. The New York Post Bruce Golding spoke with Sperry about his later suspension from Twitter. And you can hear that uh, if you go to Scott Johnson's post on Paraline, uh, where he links to it. Twitter's service as an adjunct of the state was covert. Twitter didn't say it, and we don't know. Indeed, it denied it. It held itself out as an independent platform for free speech, lying the whole time. The Twitter files illuminate the growth and nature of Twitter's servile relationship with the government in telling detail. The agencies that participated in this program of suppression must be called to account. Scott closes by saying, I assume that Musk has taken appropriate action to terminate the old Twitter modus operandi. And if we had a working press, we might have more clarity on that point and related details just as well. Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 